Hello, Witchwave listener. I am so thrilled to finally unveil the Witchwave Patreon. By becoming a Witchwave patron, you'll get to access Witchwave Plus, which has bonus episodes and ad-free full-length episodes. You'll also be able to join our members-only digital coven, where we'll be doing live video chats, sharing witchy news and tips, and where you can meet other Witchwave kindred spirits. Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave to check out all of this and many other rewards. And thank you so much in advance for choosing to support the show. I truly appreciate it, and I can't wait to make some more magic with you. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Ethereal Visions Publishing. I already shared with you an exciting new Oracle deck project by Ethereal Visions Publishing, the Dreamscape Oracle deck. Well, I have some fantastic news, which is that that project was fully funded in just 24 hours of being launched on Kickstarter, which is absolutely spectacular to say the least. With just two weeks left in their campaign, they are now looking to expand the deck to include even more cards, which means even more dreamy illustrations by Matt Hughes. If you love the Ethereal Visions tarot deck as much as I do, you will definitely want to include the Dreamscape Oracle deck in your readings for added clarity and insight. Pre-order a copy now at www.dreamscapeoracle.com. That's www.dreamscapeoracle.com. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. Oh my goodness, what an exceptional time we are living in right now. How are you? I have been social distancing and primarily staying home for the last several days now with Matt and Remy the Cat, and I hope that you have been able to be home as well, or at least that you are taking as good care of yourself and everyone else as you possibly can with the resources you currently have. As I record this, the coronavirus is crescendoing here in the United States, and in New York City, where I live, everything is pretty much grinding to a standstill, with so many things closing or becoming more and more restricted. And I'm not going to lie, there are moments when I'm feeling real fear and anxiety about what's to come. 
personal fear about my loved ones and my finances and future plans and collective fear about everyone's well-being and about us having enough hospital beds and supplies and about the economy and about what this will mean for our elections and on and on and on. And I bet you have been having those kind of swirling thoughts as well. But I really want to remind you all and to remind myself that all we can do right now is our best. None of us have been through anything quite like this before, and so we just need to take things day by day and know that we don't have to have all the answers right now. We can't possibly. We're all learning as we go. And also, I would love for us all to remember that while suffering and anxiety are real, so too are the positive and yes, even hopeful byproducts of this virus. More people staying home means that we are resting more. It means that we are treading much more gently on the environment and that pollution is decreasing. It means that we are reaching out to each other and using technology in innovative ways to be creative and show support for one another. And it means that many of us now understand that our individual actions affect our neighbors and our communities and our countries in real ways. By staying home and doing whatever we can to slow the spread of this virus, we are illustrating in real time what interconnection and large-scale caring looks like. And we are also proving that when we commit to a shared goal together, we are capable of enacting quick mass change. And that's a really powerful lesson and one that I believe we all need right now. These two halves of the human experience, the shadow and the light, are both true. And holding each in our hearts, the negative and the positive, at the same time, does not dishonor the other. In fact, I would argue that this is what witches excel at, and this is what witches teach us. We witches are masters at holding the opposites and finding wisdom in all seasons and magic in all moments. Late on this coming Thursday night, that's tomorrow, March 19th, if you're listening to this on the day that this episode airs, or early on Friday morning, depending on where you live, we will be celebrating the equinox. It's the spring or vernal equinox up here in the northern hemisphere, and the fall equinox in the southern hemisphere. But regardless, an equinox is the time when day and night are of equal lengths. And so it is a perfect time to contemplate how we can reconcile two opposing forces. 
Right now, the entire world is focusing its attention on the same thing. And that thing, this virus, has and will continue to cause great harm to many precious people and projects and pursuits. And there is no minimizing that. It is something to feel and grieve, and we must do everything in our power to protect one another and ourselves. But this suffering is also bringing to light the great injustices and inequalities in our healthcare system, our governments, and our economy. And it is a great awakening for those of us who thought we were totally self-reliant or that someone else would swoop in to save the day. There is no savior save for you and me, but we are powerful and inventive and heartstrong. And if we choose to, we can learn from this vast psychic shift and choose to do differently from here on out. Now is a time to recharge and nourish ourselves and, yes, relax as much as we are able to and catch up on sleep and make things and seek out pleasure and be a source of love and radical care. It is also a time of preparation. Because this virus will pass. There will be sacrifices and losses, but we will get through this. And then we will be confronted with the question, how can we do better? How can we lift each other up and light each other up through our work and our involvement and our gifts and our commitment? Spirituality is always about connection to our highest selves, to our greatest purpose, and to one another. I intend to hold both of these truths within me, the pain and the promise. And I recall that this third way of being has ancient precedent Symbols like the yin-yang, the alchemical rebus, the almond-shaped mandorla, or the vesica pisces, exist in various cultures to represent this sacred balancing of opposite energies that create a third enlightened way of being. Buddhists talk about the middle way, or the middle path, which is a means of approaching life from a both-and point of view. As Jack Cornfield writes in his book, The Wise Heart, quote, Trusting in the middle way, there is an ease and grace, a cellular knowing that we too can float in the ever-changing ocean of life which has always held us. Unquote. On this equinox, I encourage us all to surrender to both the sobering shadow and the great ecstatic light of this profound moment in our shared story. I encourage us all to walk the middle way and to hold all of these truths in our hearts at once. 
In doing so, we can recenter ourselves and know that even in the midst of all of this intense and at times uncomfortable change, we are okay, we are alive, and we are fully present. Now, one of the things that I'm deeply grateful for always, but especially during this unsteady time, is art. And music is a particularly potent magic that can strengthen and soothe. My guest today is the visionary musician Yugen Blackrock, a hip-hop artist whose songs are deeply mystical and whose lyrics seek to blend opposing energies and conjure a shimmering new world. On this episode, we talk about music making, the importance of witchcraft and stillness, and we hear some of her inspiring sonic story. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Alexander writes... Hello, I am part of the class that you spoke to at Wagner College, and we all want to know if there is some ritual we can group participate in to help with the coronavirus. Thanks again for speaking to us. Hi, Alexander. It is so lovely to hear from you. And it was my absolute honor to get to guest teach your class this summer. I love sharing the history and the important message of the witch with students, and your class was such a wonderful bunch, so please tell everyone I say hello. In regards to your question, group magic is so beautiful and effective, not only because collective energy and focused intention can manifest a particular outcome in the future, but because it unites us and reaffirms our interconnection with one another here in the present. And being present with and for each other is crucial right now. So yes, here is a ritual that I would love for everyone to participate in if they feel compelled to and able. And no need to take notes on this, by the way, as I posted this already on both the Witchwave Pod Instagram page and on my personal Instagram page as well, which is at Phantasmophile. So the ritual is a simple one. On Thursday, March 19th, which is tomorrow or the day after this episode airs, the equinox falls at 11.50 p.m. Eastern Time. So at that time, and please adjust to your time zone, I would love for everyone to light a candle and say the following words. I honor grief and fear and I let them move through me. I honor compassion and love, and I let them lead me. May this moment awaken me to my most generous, generative self. And may everyone join in spirit to build a world where all may thrive. Blessed be. So that's it. 
nice and simple and focused. I'll be doing this myself, and I truly hope that you will join me. And of course, feel free to change the words or add on to it in any way that you feel called to. I wish you a balanced and beautiful equinox. Now, on to my guest. Yugen Blackrock is a critically acclaimed hip-hop artist who hails from the Eastern Cape of South Africa. Her occult-flavored rhymes draw from world mythology and an eclectic blend of various spiritual systems, while sounding entirely unique and future-forward. Slanging these rhymes like a merchant, handwritten and cursive. Lately I've been staring at these pages, mine stay purple. Mercury's in retrograde, circles in a circle, what's the purpose? the neck like a vulture goddess milky way patterns and the energies i harness in my mindset i'm high as the sky gets multiple sunsets capturing thoughts with a butterfly neck because true reality her 2013 album return of the astro goth caught the attention of musical maestros such as chuck d who makes a cameo appearance on her newest album anima mysterium of 2019 Anima Mysterium graced many best-of-the-year lists, which is how I discovered her and began my ardent obsession with her music. However, many people might recognize her from her blazing performance on the Black Panther soundtrack via the song Ops, which she did in collaboration with Kendrick Lamar and Vince Staples. Yugen has toured throughout South Africa and Europe and has opened for hip-hop icons such as MC Light and performed alongside such legends as Public Enemy. Her music is a mix of sci-fi soundscapes, meditative melodies, and trip-hop beats, thanks in large part to her collaborator, Kanif, who also makes an appearance during our interview. On this episode, Yugen discusses the occult elements of her songs, her lifelong quest to balance shadow and light, and how she's used music as medicine during tumultuous times. Before we get started, a couple quick caveats. First, this interview was recorded a few weeks ago, so there is no discussion of the coronavirus, which might actually be a nice relief for you at this point. And secondly, we did unfortunately run up against some technical difficulties, so sound quality is a bit spottier than we'd like in some moments. The quality does get better as the conversation goes on, and if you can ride those sound waves with us, I believe that you will think it's totally worth it because our conversation is a juicy one indeed. Yugen and special guest Kanif joined me from France, where they're currently living and working via Skype. Yugen Blackrock, welcome to the Witch Wave. Hi, Pam. How are you? 
I'm terrific, and I am just over the moon to be talking to you right now. Thank you so much for making the time. You're in France right now, is that right? Yeah, I'm in France in Marseille. Oh, beautiful. Let's start there. I know that you are based in South Africa. What has brought you to France right now? Kanif and I actually signed with a French label, an independent label based in Marseille, which is a city that we, we've loved visiting in, in over the last couple of years. Also with some of the tours that we've been doing, we've kind of ended up here. We find the hip hop scene and the alternative scene is, is really great. There's so many opportunities to learn and meet up with other artists and build that kind of thing. So we're kind of just exploring. And uh, the base for now, I think, Marseille is kind of serving a purpose. How fabulous. And of course, when I hear about Marseille, the first thing that jumps into my mind is the Marseille tarot deck, because so much tarot culture has come (laughs) from that part of the world. Have you been working with tarot at all while you're out there? No, no, I haven't. (laughs) I think for the past year, really, we've been on the road, like literally over nine or 10 months. So just arriving in Marseille and getting to know the city is something we've we've kind of done over the last three months. And I think learning also about the, the history of the city, you know, it being an old port and being as old as it is, the cultural mix trying to learn the vibes and frequencies that run through the city as well. I'm mostly spending most of my time trying to learn French. So (laughs) I think that's very, very wise. So I confess that I am a relatively new convert to your music, Yugen. I am deeply in love with your newest album, Anima Mysterium. And it crossed my transom fairly recently in 2019 when it came out. So for those listeners who might not be familiar with you or your music, I certainly know how I would describe it, but I'd love for you to describe your music for somebody who might be just hearing your name for the first time. It does get a bit hard to describe sometimes, but I usually just rely on hip hop, you know, because I think that's where the rules of it are the poetry, the imagery, like I find that my style is quite dense, you know, lyrically. And then I have Anif here that, that I do work with who, who provides these dark and uh, melancholic kind of soundscapes, things that connects the sound and the word together, you know, the music and the poetry kind of go together. So we, we do, both of us have an affinity for the unseen to kind of explore. So it, it's kind of mood music for seekers. I think, you know, Yugen's words create vivid worlds for me, which is a lot of fun to use that in when making the sounds, but it is very much, I would say more than a sound, a, a frequency and a mood and uh, that, that I look for when, when we're creating the, the music. I love that. And for me, there are so many occult images that you rely on, Yugen, in your lyrics. My ear picks up on various names of goddesses. You're riffing on things from Mm. everybody from, you know, my favorite Artemis to 
vulture goddesses, yes. Lilith. You have lots of cosmic and intergalactic images. You talk about auras and chi and, you know, all different kind of words and concepts that spring out of this real mythological well. And so I'd love to hear, when did you start becoming interested in occult imagery? And why are you compelled to write music about that? One of the first books I got from my mom was a book of fairy tales from I think the Brothers Grimm. And I was really into that as well as Hans Christian Andersen stuff, you know, like The Little Mermaid, which was a little bit dark, not the Disney version. But there was always something quite intriguing, the morals of the stories. There was always like an occult reference to it. There was always more than meets the eye, the girl with the red shoes. And if you just take the surface level of it, you can be entertained. But when you do tend to experience things that, pull those stories up, you know, outside your childhood, you start seeing that these are kind of being sort of manipulated to fit however the society thinks at that time. The unseen or the, the mythical or more fantastic ideas about life kind of, they catch everyone, you know. Growing up also in South Africa is something that you live in. You don't really question what you witness all the time. So we, we have our own stories, stories like that you, you get to hear everywhere, whether you're going to school. I think we're all looking for that sense of magic. You feel it, but you somehow want to see it in some ways. So, you know, certain writers have a way of giving you that sense of magic that give you a language to describe what's happening. Because a lot of things that are unseen, you have to feel through. And because at school, certain sciences kind of teach us to think in a certain way, almost like you take the metaphysical side out of things and you're just teaching a plain basic science. As a child, you don't really see where things connect. So you're constantly looking for that missing link between chemistry and magic. I do think it's somehow one and the same, or at least it's a search for the same thing. Absolutely. And the word occult means hidden. And so it seems like this notion of the unseen is something that you're excavating certainly throughout your work, but it sounds like you've been excavating throughout your whole life. And not everybody's like that, Yugen. <laughs> like, I think weirdos like you and I are, but but certainly not everybody's like that. And And I'm wondering, other than fairy tales, did you have any other writers that were influencing you or were you raised with a certain level of spiritual inquiry that made you want to discover the unseen? With other African writers, whether you, you're looking at Credo Mutua stuff or from South Africa or Chinua Achebe from you know, Nigeria or Ben Okri, there is that underlying thread. And I guess with African spirituality as well, there are many different ways of practicing, of seeing, of divination, different cultures, different languages. But there is a level of understanding, an unspoken understanding of the, like an essence of life, of energy, of how things move. Because even in the words that we use, 
there's a lot that's going on that's unseen, you know. The, you, you have to take effort, you have to see your words as an energy, something that can affect who you're directing it to. So even there, like uh, different authors, music as well, the different arts, growing up, you know, you find certain books that kind of change your viewpoint on things that add to your knowledge and therefore adding to your world. It makes it bigger than your own experience. People who have walked the same path that you're walking, I believe, and they've seen differently or they've seen further. So it, it becomes helpful in your own search. I do think we're all sort of searching for ourselves, you know? Absolutely. Through different things or different people. What Yugen was saying was just also making me think of the oral tradition, which is very prevalent in South Africa, the stories that are told, and they often, as with the fairy tales, refer to the connection between the, the, the seen and the unseen. And I find that the blurred line between the ancestors are always present in, in many decisions that are made and and respected. And I think that definitely gives our music a bit of the, the intonation that it, that it has. Absolutely. I've heard you guys talk about the Credo Mutwa book, and forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that. Credo Mutwa, yes. Yes, his book, Indaba, My Children, which is this collection of Zulu tales and mythology that have passed down. And I'd love to hear you talk a bit about maybe some of the stories or some of the deities that have made their way into your music. Because, you know, with my ears... Of course, I'm picking up on Artemis and Lilith and all of these deities that I'm familiar with, but I'm sure I'm missing all kinds of amazing references from, you know, these these other fairy tales and myths. I think there's connections through everyone. For for example, I mean, he mentions quite a lot of deities in the book. A lot of writers have also kind of picked up on him and, and carried on some of the stories that maybe speak about Amarava, you know, one of the first goddesses when we're talking about the first people. In South Africa, I think not everybody subscribes to that way of thinking. I think different tribes have their origin stories. Like I, I know the Tosa, my people have their own. Zulus have some, and there's some from Bengals and Songas and all of this. And like Kanif said, a lot of it is passed down orally. There isn't a lot of written material about it, but I like Indaba, my children, because it was so epic when I first read it, and it gave me an insight into a culture. That was, although similar to my own, was also different. You know, we were all people occupying a similar spot, like we're in close proximity to each other. But there's really vital differences in how we perform our traditions, our rituals, how we use our language. When you talk about marimba, and you're not talking just about the musical instrument, but the mother of music in that book, you know, you start to see the correlations between the names of things, just like in, let's say, Greek or Roman mythology, you you have the gods animated or personified as things, or you give things a certain divinity by likening them to the gods. Everything kind of feeds into each other. I mean, we have our own names for planets, you know, for Jupiter, for the moon, a month. In Kosa is Inyanga, 
the same word inyanga is the name for moon but it's also mm. the name for a healer you know so there are these connected things like ilanga is the sun so even with the with the names there is an, a connection to the deities there's an, a connection to the same creation mythology yeah yeah so i do find it easy to talk about Artemis or to talk about Athena or any of these women or feminine energies that I look up to because they do have a place in me all the way down there in South Africa as much as marimba will inspire my musical sense or direction the exploration of it and and she's she's important to me just as much as Hestia and everyone else you know mm. we've all got space these are all our stories and these are stories that describe us and our aspirations as well as our past and the more that we know about them and their different forms in the different languages the closer we come to them i think that's really the meaning of speaking one language mm i love that i think that's so beautiful and it really speaks to this idea that you know we have this universal connection that these universal energies that i think you know might have different names and take on different contexts but that we share even though we might grow up in very different places yeah and it just reminds us that we're one you know and that the beauty of the stories is how similar we all are in our fears and loves and, and desires and absolutely on that beautiful note we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back Foxglove Farm creates magnificent, vegan, cruelty-free, earth-focused products like baths, teas, facial care, and magical spell kits. Could you use a lift? Try the Foxglove Farm Good Spirits Soap with lemon balm and frankincense to elevate your mood. Looking to rev your lust engines? Their live-in libido loca tea just might do the trick. And you know I'm on a rose kick right now, so their Coming Up Roses facial mist is totally calling my name and my face. These are just a few of the offerings from Foxglove Farm. But if you're having trouble deciding or you just want to spoil yourself with a selection of goodies, then check out their monthly gift boxes. Every box celebrates the magic of a different plant each month and weaves that plant into the rituals, scents, healing teas, and spell items contained inside. Delish! I also love that Foxglove Farm runs a heart-centered business using minimal recycled packaging and donating a bar of soap to those in need for every soap ordered. So head on over to foxglovefarm.com. That's foxglove, P-H-A-R-M.com to order mindfully crafted plant-based products that are kind to your body and to your soul. And if you use offer code WITCH, you'll get 13% off your orders. That's offer code WITCH for 13% off. Foxglove Farm makes good stuff with good intentions. I am so excited to be the first to announce a long-awaited debut from your favorite candle maker and mine, Mithras Candle. And that is Mithras Black. Mithras Black is a gorgeous new line of black beeswax candles in their signature style made with a plant-based dye. 
These handmade tools have an ancient and mystical past inspired by new discoveries in light science. As the company grows, Mithras Candle are balancing their natural golden beeswax with the mystery and transformative power of black candles. There are times when we are faced with an unknown. How can we process and transmute the pain of grief, the vulnerability of waiting? When we must honor moon cycles, process hard feelings, heal, surrender, or cast protection. When we are tired and hopeless, what we need is restoration of spirit. Mithras Black is for those times. Black candles have been traditionally associated with protection and absorption of negative energy. Plus, they look absolutely gorgeous. Our friends in Philadelphia are now asking for your support with a big push in crowdfunding on Indiegogo for new equipment and supplies to bring these beauties into being. There are so many juicy reward offerings, including all our favorite classic Mithras candles now in black with limited edition wearable emblems one-of-a-kind cauldron candle vessels from ceramicist Clarissa Eck, and a custom Mithras candle photo print from witch photographer extraordinaire Courtney Brooke Hall. Visit the Mithras candle campaign today, and all early bird contributors will receive a free pair of black votives. Go to MithrasCandle.com, that's M as in magic, I-T-H-R-A-S, Candle.com, and click on the campaign link, or you can go to their Instagram account. On behalf of Mithras Candle, thank you for your support. Wishing warmth, light, and shadow to all. Descendant of the walkers of the sun's melting surface Cult wordsmith, a grain of sand glowing from future furnaces Swimming in waves of radiant energy A case of the evergreens succumbing to the flow of chi I am just a black and brown polymer of chemicals Expanding in waves like drums echoing from Senegal Watching solar empires burn like hellfires Brimstone smokes of your souls ascending higher I whisper to that dangerous silence inside the witching hour A sliver of a silver light anointed in night showers Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Yugen Blackrock and Kanif. Thank you both so much for joining me. Kanif, you have been a wonderful surprise guest, and I'm so thrilled that you're here because I'm very interested in the way that people collaborate and that really special alchemy that happens between artists who make magic together. How do you guys approach making music? Do you start with a beat? Yugen, are you bringing lyrics to Kanif? What is the process like when you are developing songs? I think we're both fans of the trial and error method. Um, so <laughs> we've we've done all that. I've approached maybe Kanif in his studio with some lyrics. Oh, this is what I'd like to do. What do you think about the song? And then maybe he'll play me a beat that, you know, sounds like it, it could fit there or record it. Or maybe he'll build something around what I've already got. Other times I do 
go up to him and say, oh, I need a bunch of stuff, grab a couple of beats, go back to my studio, right? At least at home, this is what we used to do. So on the road, we've kind of just been trying to figure that out. But it, it does kind of feed into each other where some of the stuff I'll pick up, there'll be certain bits that kind of speak to me that I'll use as what I call like a trigger, that which produces the emotional response that I need to write to completely be in the text or in the space of the story or however it is. Then when I bring it back to Kanif, he kind of works it. He works around the subject matter. He works around my voice and and everything else that I'm bringing. So I think, yeah, both ways we've tried that. When we first started working together, it took us a, a bit of time to find the sound that we, we were looking for. Usually for, for me, it's kind of a color-based way of seeing it is probably the easiest way of, of ex- explaining it. So to find Yugen's, the complexities of, of, of all the colors and which, you know, I use to make, to make the sound palette. And, and again, it's very much just driven by imagery and there's a slowness and a sadness, but there's always a bit of a beauty to what she's saying. So I, I look for that in the sounds and, and the textures. Yeah, and we'll sit together sometimes and he'll play me stuff. Maybe we're in the studio or he'll play something on the guitar or on the pads. We'll listen to what the song needs once we've put our feelings in it. I feel that we're on the same path, but we walk differently. So he he kind of puts his feeling of what we're talking about in the beat. I'll put it in the lyrics. We'll sit together and put it together and see what else is missing. I think maybe we should add some horns here or we need to change these drums. I feel like this needs to be a bit more angry or less. We'll, we'll talk in terms of emotion. He'll talk in terms of color because that's how... I don't understand it, but that's how he sees it, you know, and it, it kind of works. All the things that we were sort of thinking that we're not sure about, we've got time and a space and trust to experiment with it. The best moments where you just doing the, the transmissions from the ether and interpreting them, you know, yes. and those are always moments that we seek for, I think, as all musicians to, to be connected to that voice where you, you're receiving this stuff from other places and, and you're delivering it authentically also yeah without Absolutely. trying to interfere too much can you guys talk about your current thinking around spirituality do you have a spiritual practice is there any sort of magical methodology that you're employing when you're either generating work or performing work i'd just love to hear how you're feeling about capital S spirit these days? <laughs> <laughs> well, Pam, I wouldn't say we've got a particular discipline, but we do like to look at different practices, see what works for you. For myself, I do tend to look at everything and see what works for me, whether you're looking at certain aspects of Taoism or Buddhism or even my own religion, our own tradition. We don't really have a name for it, but what my father's people practice, the connection to the earth and having certain rituals and traditions. We do try to keep everything that we've learned. I mean, South Africa is pretty multicultural and there is depth in a lot of our practices. 
that's also ingrained in the languages. So from stuff that we learn at home to stuff that we read in books, whether we're looking at psychology or specifically spirituality, I think we both tend to employ the best techniques out of things that we learn, whether you want to do your traditional meditation or if you want to kind of free fall through things, listen to what your spirit needs in the moment, because often your mind does not need you to force it to be quiet. There is a lot of noise around and I'm learning at least now, particularly in these last couple of months, that the aim is not really to just quieten everything down, but to move and not get lost in the movement. There's a lot that's happening, a lot I feel that is required of us in, in our respective searches, you know, and it, Absolutely. It's, it's very important to listen. So often it's taking time out in the day to kind of check yourself where you're at, how you're feeling and address those little things that come up so they don't be bigger things that can push you off your way. My particular thing is talking to people that I love. These are energy centers full of love. You take it for granted, but talking to somebody that loves you is a very wonderful thing, whether you're in a good space or not. You know, this is someone who sees you at your best, whether you are or not. So cultivating that, cultivating friendships gives me light. It gives me energy. A circle of wise women is one thing I can't do without wise counsel whenever I do feel doubtful of, of things that I jump into. People that remind me of that love. Yes, that, that's yes. really my, my thing lately. And, and again, being being an artist, it, you have to find a, a space where you can be creative, which is place of peace. I mean, even if it's from cannibalizing experiences and turmoils to find a place where it can come out. So I think we spend quite a bit of time in a mountain somewhere where we go and we camp there and yeah, we do. try and, and remember the oneness of, of it all, especially with the vision agenda that's pushed on us. Is, and the more you feel at one with, with the tree and you can hear it and, and understand the library of, of knowledge around you when you're in a forest. And yeah, taking time away from the city also is, is, is really great. Mother Earth is also in a in a certain energy now, and it's, I think that the state of the self is something that you have to work constantly to preserve and to yeah. keep your mind with positive energy and light. Absolutely. And that concept of reconciling these divisions is something that comes up time and time again in your album. I mean, I'm thinking of a lyric like, and I am not going to attempt to rap right now because that will embarrass all of us. <laughs> so I'll just read from Gorgon Madonna, Ambidextrous, Androgen, I'm both the Empress and the King. And there, I know you're talking about reconciling or holding the divinities of feminine and masculine energy. But mm. I think this reconciliation of opposites is something that so much of our collective world needs right now, whether it's reconciling our shadow and our light, our pain and our healing, all of these different, I think, dualities mm. that seem to be pulling us apart at times as, as a society. And that's something that I really love about this album, how much, yes, it is about the divine feminine, but it's also about 
you, Yugen, especially as the narrator, kind of balancing these different polarities and coming up with this incredible space where it becomes this beautiful third thing. Thank you, Pam. Speaking of divisions, I would be remiss if I didn't share with you that as a kid growing up here in America, I, I was a teenager in the 1990s, and the very little that I learned about South Africa in school was about apartheid, which, you know, was coming to an end in the early 90s when I was still in school. So if you don't mind, can I ask you about what effect that that may have had on both of you growing up, you know, in South Africa and becoming artists there too? Mm-hmm. Yeah the early mid 90s when it supposedly stopped i mean mm-hmm. officially i think at our age i wasn't particularly aware of it as a child because we were not going to the suburbs where white people lived i was not aware of the segregation because i was in the area where i was supposed to be according to the law so you don't see what's actually happening you can hear stories. And then as you grow up and I got into teenagehood, and it's not just the after effects. I mean, this stopped in 94. In 96, I'm at a mixed school and it's recently mixed as opposed mm. to all the schools that I went to, public schools, which are all black schools. It's all black teachers. And you see white people on TV and, and there's colored people and there's this thing that's happening in the bigger cities. I didn't grow up there. I grew up in the more rural side when you do tend to interact with other folks, you start learning that things aren't what you thought they were. You start seeing that your parents or your family has sheltered you from the ugliness. Of course, you're, you're a child, but having to encounter it yourself is a bit of a shock, whether it's weird statements that a teacher will make. We had an Afrikaans teacher who would refer to some of our classmates as baboons, you know? Mm over a Mm. small thing talking in class. Why don't you go chill with those baboons on the mountain, the rest of your family? And no one's going to talk back in class. We're terrified. We still had like corporal punishment in South Africa, you know? There were were horrible things that were happening in the schools. The education system is not something that I feel was prioritized because a lot of these attitudes are learned either through your parents, through your community, through the school. If, if a teacher can refer to a student as a baboon, then any adult student can somehow say it during break time or, you know, during recess or whenever. It kind of cultivates that, that division, that energy. So when you get into your teens and your rebellion is now coming into effect, you're starting to see why your parents are acting in a certain way and why am I not allowed to go to this place or friendships have to be judged and everything is so race and skin centric it's suffocating you can't do anything outside of it and there are people that live under more harsh conditions and you really can't fathom it because you're thinking your condition is kind of tough you know it it makes going through it hell for anyone Mm. the kind of emotions the angst the frustration you, you can feel it in our music because we're affected by it. We, we grew up in a time where certain things, you, you're not allowed to talk about them. And even amongst, let's say, my, my experience, you know, the Black experience, we have our own cultural taboos and 
the misogyny and questioning, you know, whether it's religious or not, there's so many things just encouraging you being shut down that you can understand why the resistance and the rebellion got to explode the way that it did. It, it was called the Indecency Act for, for people of color and white people to be in the same room together. Imagine. I think in the climate of all that, there was the rebellion that you mm. was talking about. And, and in the arts, it was very strong in the music and theater. You know, South Africa has a very strong history. And, of protest of, art. Of, mm. of great musicians who got out to the rest of the world, like Miriam Makela and Hugh Masekela. Sure. To tell these stories. Mm. I think that that's why hip-hop appealed. I know it appealed to me. Yeah. I grew up in the city. And From the, the militancy of and the stories that I could hear, things that Chuck D and Public Enemy and Bella Soul and these folks were talking about, I recognized them around me. Mm. And I gravitated towards that. Yeah, I think also hip-hop did reach out to me in, in terms of that energy as well, to be able to lash out your anger in a creative way. And it kind of fit right in line with everything that I was into as well, the poetry in it, the urgency. It was, for me, very new. You know, it wasn't that new to South Africa, but I kind of jumped on it a bit late. But and there was some blessed soul back in the early 90s who just for some reason used to put a lot of really good hip hop on, on late night television. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it, it gave South Africa a bit of its flavor. I do agree. Oh, that's awesome. It's so incredible how art can transverse these man-made boundaries and reach us when we need it to. And just picturing you guys as like these young kids in South Africa listening to American hip-hop is really inspiring. Yeah. The other music I hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was growing up in the 90s, I really loved trip-hop and like Tricky and Massive Attack and Portishead. Yes. And yeah, Portishead. like I, am I, I love Portishead. Am I correct that I'm picking up on some of those musical references a bit too in your music? Yeah, DJ Crush, you know. Yeah, definitely <laughs> all these kids. <laughs> and to hear how they had interpreted the hip hop, you know, and how in England, how they'd slowed it down and just how the, you could feel the weather. Mm. And you, could, you could feel the Jamaican influence. That for me really blew my head open because it sounded different, yet it was the same. It had that same anger and energy and healing properties that I found in, in American stuff. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and as far as anger... The description I always find, like the the loud, action-packed anger is somehow not as scary as a quiet anger. You know, that, that silence, <laughs> you don't know what to do with it kind of tension. <laughs> it, it's so true. It's so true. For me, you know, I always gravitated more towards like melancholic and gothy, romantic mm. kind of music, whether in yes. rock or hip hop or trip hop. And... Your first album, Yugen, is called Return of the Astro Goth. And so I was wondering, did you have any goth influences or interests when you were growing up too? Like, what was your style like? The whole angsty teenage phase was that, you know, with the girlfriends and, oh my God, life is so difficult. And necessarily, <laughs> uh, I do feel like the goth element also kind of appealed to me because I was kind of angry at the thought that I would have to be a woman, 
all the responsibility. And I mean, society's view on women hasn't been favorable for a long time. So I really, mm-hmm. I was dreading it, how things change, you know, relationships, friends, guy friends become weird. I think we all go through it, the different stages of change, whether you, you're in puberty or you're going into your young adulthood, whether you're in your 30s or you're kind of looking at menopause, like, geez, can all this stuff stop? You know, there's, there's a lot of changes that you go through. And I think that was my first real rebellion maybe against myself, even or against uh, society, against expectations. So I used to listen to a lot of like emotional rock music. Also, you're crying about everything that's not right because you don't think you're equipped with anything to fix either your situation or, or even rest the world. I would love to get a sense of like some of the rock music you were listening to. Nine Inch Nails is great. You know, hell yes, uh, Marilyn Manson's whole rebellion against everything I lived for that you could question that. Also, I think the androgyny also so ballsy and also beautiful as well, challenging folks' perception of what beauty and ugliness is. Though I found like a, I don't know, an emotional connection to that as well, with the whole difference in gender and race and all this stuff. This, I think, for me, kind of showed me that you're open to everything. You have access to everything. You are everything, really. And all these stereotypes that we have, it's habitual. The stuff that you listen to or the stuff that you train your mind to look at does at some point define you. So if you're working at discovering yourself, that means what you think fits you and what you think doesn't fit you as well. You want to know yourself. So that sometimes means looking at the elements of yourself, not with judgment or disdain, but like seeing it and questioning the words that you use on yourself as well. So I do like those dark images because that is an opportunity for you to find beauty. I'm one of those people who can or who at least goes out of their way to find it. You can find it everywhere. So as much as it's dark, I think that the return of the Astrogoth was, at least lyrically on my heart, an ode to that, that part of my life as well, that search, the evolution, the artistry that goes in, you know, the search for self. And when we made it with Kanev, we were trying to make a time capsule. You know, I'd been rapping about 10 years before we re- we recorded that album together, and it took a lot of experience and a lot of sitting down and sifting through that experience to give like an authentic representation of all the stages we'd gone through, you know, with Kanif as a producer, but also like as a, as a partner in creating this world, Absolutely. discovering our sound. I don't think we take enough time with ourselves. Often we get surprised by people's questions to us, whereas if you've asked yourself that question already, If you treat yourself like something new, you're constantly surprising yourself. You're constantly learning things about yourself that you don't have to learn in the public eye or in an awkward space. Find that space to learn yourself, whether it's through, I don't know, if you're a bit of a hermit or a loner, you like to go about your way, that's fine. With others, we like companionship through relationship, you know. 
different kinds, you know, it's it's an opportunity to learn yourself through another self. Absolutely. I really do like conversations and I feel like these albums are just like little spaces to explore these with Astro Goth. We we're into the astrology, we're into a bit of the goth, we're into also light work. And then you go into Anima Mysterium, which I feel is a little bit more aggressive in its exploration of the dark side. You know, knowing that there's light, you jump into the dark with faith, not hoping to find all, but knowing that everything is there and you'll still be whole when you come out, you know? I love that, Yugen. That's so, so beautiful. I want to ask you, you have one of my favorite couple lines from your track, Monatomic Mushroom. You write, initiated, illuminated, I sanctify spaces with myrrh and frankincense and incandescent incantations. And I think incandescent incantations is a perfect way to sum up your rapping style because (laughs) it is very incantatory. It feels like this mesmeric spell. It's so poetic and so rhythmic. How did you discover that you have this gift? When did you even start rapping? Mm. When I started out rapping, like I got into hip hop first and I couldn't really figure out my place in it. While trying to find my place in hip hop, like through an act, whether graffiti or break dancing or any of these, I was insecure about my dancing. I'll admit I wanted to <laughs> be a break dancer more than anything. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I relied on the love for words as like a close second, but Mm. I wasn't confident or anything about my voice or or lyrical style or writing style or anything like that. But I'll tell you what really got me to appreciate rap was English class, Shakespeare, even when we were looking at rhyming sonnets, it really just gave me this idea that rap was such a wonderful thing as opposed to like the general idea that time that it's it's a fat bloody blah it's ghetto whereas when you're listening to it you can see the effort you can see the poetry the techniques that these guys are using and in their vernacular as well that's what really inspired me to start rapping as such and I used to rap like my favorite artist songs like uh, MC Light or Missy Elliott or Buster Rhymes. And I'd rap it amongst my friends because I was still quite shy. So it was only after high school when I was questioning what to do with myself, what I wanted to study, what I wanted to do. And I realized that I really enjoyed writing, enjoyed poetry. I wanted to explore as well the, the performance element of it. Also, as a shy person, you know, it it really forced me to come out of my shell a bit. I threw myself in because I loved it. I'd go to open mics. The first couple of times I was rapping in front of people, I was so shy. I kept my eyes closed throughout. Mm. You hear me, Pam? I, I couldn't handle it that I did it. And, you know, I was surrounded by really good people who were quite encouraging You know, I think also for them, having a woman around rapping, participating in everything that they're doing was a novelty for them because there's also this question of women within hip hop not really being visible or having to fight the patriarchy or some form of it in some way or another. So I did get surrounded by guys who would give me criticism 
when I was not sounding great, you know, they would, they would just say that, oh, that's a really good verse. I don't know about that line. You know, give you something that you can think about. I'm glad that I was able to take myself out of that equation and just focus on what I needed to learn. Yugen, the, these men who you were rapping with, did you find their feedback to be helpful or was that a negative experience for you? I found it to be like both. Some folks would give, you know, constructive criticism, you know, whether it's in terms of breath control or structuring, you know, something quite technical. And then you'd get folks that are just questioning your being in a world that they assume is theirs. You're a woman in a man's world. So prove yourself. Do you know this? Do you know that? Come on, rap for me real quick. That just showed their own biases and stuff. And there's a lot of this, you know, in the world generally. You just have to pick what works for you and what rings true for you, you know. So I wanted to learn. I wanted to be better. So I'd be in the ciphers. I'd be at the shows. Just be there where I know the dope artists that are going to be there. I can watch something. I can see how someone else moves on stage, how to command that presence. When I met up with Kanif, he's someone that we could be in a teacher-student relationship with, you know, I could teach him some things. He taught me some things. We're building together and we're kind of discovering ourselves and each other on the same journey, you know. So, yeah, he could sort of fill in things for me. Like, I, I do like how he hears things. And I think, you know, I can safely say he likes how I express things, the people that he knows or that he's met, his life experiences as well as mine. And, you know, in some parts where we don't connect or we disagree on things, we're still individuals with respect for each other and can allow each other to be ourselves and completely authentic, you know, without having to compromise. That's really been a, a great learning lesson. Mm, that's such a special, lucky thing. And on that note, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back. So I'm obviously a big fan of witchcraft as a tool for changing your life, but it is absolutely no replacement for professional therapy. I should know because I've been seeing a therapist for most of my adult life, and it has helped me so much with anxiety, trauma, the blues, and also just the day-to-day -day stresses that come up for all of us. That's why I'm so happy to tell you about BetterHelp. BetterHelp is making therapy more accessible for people because they offer online counseling. That's right. You can now connect to BetterHelp's professional counselors from the privacy of your own computer or phone. And so it's incredibly convenient. And you can get help at your own pace by scheduling secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and texting. BetterHelp's licensed professional counselors specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, hello, relationships, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, self-esteem. In other words, pretty much everything that human beings deal with at some point in their lives. And everything you share is 100% confidential. Also good to know is that if your counselor isn't a good fit for any reason, no problem. You can request a new one at any time for no additional charge, and you can get set up for your first session in under 24 hours. 
BetterHelp is making therapy more accessible and more affordable. It even has financial aid for those who qualify. And best of all, which wave listeners get 10% off the first month of counseling by using offer code WHICHWAVE. That's all one word, WHICHWAVE. So if you, like me, could use a little extra help sometimes, don't hesitate. Mental well-being is so important. Please go to betterhelp.com slash witchwave, where you'll fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash witchwave for 10% off your first month. Cosmic breath, the air element, find strength in the mental, the thought behind the rhymes consequential, the flows decked in space boots, leaping over lunar tombs, write lyrics in dunes and play the muse, inspire fate to paint predestinations, landscapes, for the awakened imaginations are stargates, whistle I'm listening, the pilgrim of the house of the wind, I'm the emissary, hearing voices. In Welcome the back to the Witch Wave, today I'm speaking with Yugen Blackrock and Kenny. So, Yugen, I want to talk specifically about witches and witchcraft. In the press release for Anima Mysterium, the text is really beautiful, and you're called a sorceress who casts hexes with words and sound waves, (laughs) uh, which is so beautiful. But I'm also well aware that in parts of Africa, and certainly in South Africa, The idea of being a witch Mm. in some areas is a very dangerous one. I know that there are still witch hunts that happen throughout Africa and certainly in parts of South Africa. While at the same time, I know there's also a modern pagan community of Mm. people who call themselves witches in the more modern sense. And, And so I have to ask, like, is there any risk factor involved in you being a person from South Africa who's publicly identifying as a sorceress, even if that's metaphorical? Mm-hmm. I think the safety is in using that as a metaphor. But to be honest, how can you deny the magic that is in life? You know, I think we do a lot of horrible things under these labels. I understand that there are witch hunts, yeah, there's different kinds of magic. We we know this, we witness this, we, we live this. And it's all on people's intentions. You know, we have these labels and under these labels, we attack people. We want to distance ourselves from what we don't want to face. And there's no distancing that. Every family has a healer. Every person in them has a dark side and a light side. We have so many light workers You don't know how things are going to end. But one thing for sure is that as a human race in our journey or in our evolution, we are trying to be better, better at everything, you know, at knowing our souls, the evolution of the soul. Even if we're looking at high tech things, we're kind of merging with the technology. This is all a search for the higher self. So whatever means that you use to reach the self Uh, whether we're looking at divination, whether we're looking at the African way of doing this or the Indonesian or the European, whichever way we're looking at, we're all doing the same thing. We're all on a search, but at the same time, we are at war with each other because there is a division agenda. 
we're all being told how to think. There are certain models that are put out there for us to look at as though looking within is not worth it. I do feel that if people spend more time looking at what they feel, being in touch with their spirits, there really would not be enough time in the day to harass somebody for believing in what they believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Am I correct, though, that there is still this practice or this belief in people who are identified as, is it Sangoma, a practitioner of witchcraft that's supposed to be like a harmful, malevolent witch? No. Sangoma is a Zulu word for a traditional healer. You know, Mm. folks that came down to South Africa and did not understand our practices put words like witch doctor. I I also think witchcraft really needs a new PR agent because really, come on. (laughs) Yes. People who don't understand will always try and throw shadow on that which they don't understand. Keep it in the dark with their fears. You know, not understanding one's practices does not make them evil. At the same time, we also know that man is evil the same way that man is good. You know, we're capable of all these wonderful things and we're also capable of horrendous things. Energy is not bad or good, but what we do with it is going to give us bad or good results. You know what I'm saying? Yes, I'm talking to a tree or talking to a flower or a rock with your intentions, whether you're going to say grow and multiply and be beautiful or shrivel and cause death. This is all in your words. Your words are your spells. You don't have to self-identify as a witch for you to cause harm or to change or to make things good. This is the power of a human being. And those that are aware of themselves and their powers, maybe they go and they have labels and this, but every human being has a potential to do good or cause harm. And we're using other energies, energies of living things. You understand? Whether it's trees or herbs, this is life forms that you are taking in to you or into your work. Absolutely. Absolutely. To make it more powerful. So everything is on intent, Pam. Half of these things, knowing certain herbs or how to use them, does not make you a bad person. Observing the stars or how the celestial bodies move in relation to you does not make you practitioner of the dark arts. Oh my God, it's knowledge, (laughs) you know, it's knowledge. You do what you want with it. And if that's where your heart is, your heart is in darkness, that's what you're going to do with it. You're going to get called out for it. But it does not now describe everybody that has knowledge. We do need to stop the mob thinking and the mob action of just following any dramatic thing that's happening. We, We really do need to be quiet with ourselves at some point and ask ourselves what is true and what is not. I do feel like sometimes, yeah, life is tough and we all want to hand the reins over to somebody, but it's not healthy to let other people with weird intentions dictate how we should be living our lives. The whole world is super capitalistic and we're trying to change that because it's inhumane search for money and this this need for it. We do need to really look at what we are really worth. Start with little things, you know, awareness, knowledge, reading, 
you know, you can't really write if you're not reading. Absolutely. It's so much about, I think, being introspective and reflective and and also seeking. And what's happened with Africa is like a, when Christianity came, it came and messed up a lot of good things that we had going for ourselves. You know, we, we had light. We had communication with our ancestors. We had that connection to nature until somebody can make you feel wrong for what you know is right. Brainwash, physical torture, yep. things that will make you abandon things that you know because that's safety for you. You know, so there are a lot of attitudes that do need to change. It's a disease in the brain mm-hmm. to hate somebody else. It's a disease to be so uninterested in life, the thing that animates you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, so I, we do have to look at the effects of all of these, apartheid and all the stuff that came before, the colonialism, for Africans to look at themselves with pride so that we can look at everybody else, the rest of the world, and stand behind what we say. And no one is ever going to come and say, hey, this is wrong again, because the world is changing. People are more on their way towards themselves now than they were before, because things have gotten so drastic that I feel like humanity is being forced to kind of reevaluate itself. I agree, too. And certainly what's happening in my country you know, we have all kinds of horrific things with this government and the amount of xenophobia and racism and discrimination that is being amplified by Mm. our current government. Ours as well, Pam, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's awful, but it's also interesting because some people, I think, are surprised. And then a, a lot of the folks who've felt discriminated against this whole time are like, no, this has been happening. It's not just this regime. This has been here. And if there's any good that is coming out of this horrible government that we have right now, it's Mm -hmm. that it's exposing what's been there all along. It's not that suddenly racism is popular. It's like, no, No. suddenly it's brought (laughs) out into the light. And so I keep hoping that this is the horrific but necessary step towards people awakening. It is and necessary. It is. Yeah, no revolution you think so? has ever been one on the couch observing. Never. Not one. Not mm-hmm. one. I do also mm-hmm. think that the, the tension and, and unpleasantness is the catalyst. No one wants to live in an unbearable situation. And if that's what it takes to get our shit together, really, because things are not going to change. They're only going to get worse if we're complacent. 100%. So I'm really grateful for all the light workers, to be honest, to everyone fighting against the odds to connect amongst all the the, the fake means of connection, the, the stuff that kind of makes us distant towards each other who are fighting against that wave to make human connections, you know, like real ones, encouraging these conversations and these journeys inwards. I really do have to share my gratitude and and say thank you to everyone that's fighting. I know these inner wars are harder than the stuff that we see with our own eyes, but they're Mm. so worth it. We we are all so worth it. Absolutely. And a reminder, too, that the magical is political. Mm -hmm. And I sometimes get feedback on my work because I I write quite a bit about witches as feminine archetypes and... Some of my work is quite political and I've gotten some feedback on my book, especially where people are like, 
oh, I just want to hear about witches. I don't want to hear about politics. Oh, and I'm it's like, always been. What are, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Like inner work is political. Magical work is political. Sure. It's about power and it's about yes. who has power. How do we share power and how do we collaborate and use the power of our imaginations and our hearts to envision a bigger, better world. And there's a lyric from your song Carbon Form that I love, which is for the awakened, imaginations are stargates. And to me, that is so rad and it's beautiful, but it's also quite political, right? It's like the more consciously aware we are, the more we can use the power of our imagination to open into bigger and better worlds. And, That's true. You know, preferably make this world that we're living in as beautiful as it can be. Yeah, I'm with that 100%. And I really like that you do make that connection also in a literary sense, the connection between magic and politics, between magic and science, between magic and everything. It's the interconnecting energy we're calling it magic so because we all recognize the word but i i really do like that it is in everything you know and everything is political everything is everything at the same time it's great it's a lot to work through but it really is great yes and that's what i love so much about your music yugen that it is so poetic and so magical but it also is it is deeply empowering and you're dealing with topics that are about inner work, certainly, but about how inner work can then bring this awakening and bring this rebirth of hopefully union and unity. And I yes. just think what you're doing is so inspiring. Yes. It's so important. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're coming up on time. I have to ask quickly, mm-hmm. are you ever going to come to the U.S. so we can see you perform? Uh, we would love to. So we're working on it. I think uh, now we can be, I think, maybe confident enough to say early next year. We would be showing up in a couple of states. We're still like planning it right now. I usually don't like to talk about plans while I'm making them, but I we have wanted to to cross over and see our people, you know, all over the states as well. I mean, we've we've managed to come up to a couple of countries here in Europe as well as in Africa. And I, I do feel like folks in the states have also shown like a great deal of support since the first album. It's one of the countries that did show like great interest from the the very first album through to the second one. And the aim really is to just connect with our people wherever they are, because that's where the magic happens, you know? Totally. It's really a beautiful thing to be able to connect with people from so far away. South Africa is way at the bottom, far from everyone, far from Europe, uh, far from the U.S., as well that I feel like we don't get to really connect and get to know each other's cultures or a way of doing things. But once you do get to a place and uh, people are welcoming you, there's so much opportunity to learn and to just have a great time as well. Um, I would love to experience what the U.S. is like in terms of, you know, like-minded people, people that think like me or who are interested in the things that I'm interested in, I'm looking forward to the conversations, to the hugs and the food as well. So definitely <laughs> we're planning in a serious way 
to come through. That's awesome. And, you know, I'm realizing we didn't talk about something that I am dying to ask you about. So I'm just going to squeeze it in at the end here. Okay. Which is, I think a lot of Americans were probably introduced to you through your kind of cameo verse on the Black Panther soundtrack. And so I have to ask you, like, oh, my goodness, what was that experience like for you? And have you seen a lot of American interest specifically because of that track that you did? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been there for a while, but that track kind of blew everything up. It really did put me on to a lot of people that maybe it would have taken me hundreds of years to meet maybe, but it's also like introduced me to people that would have never known where to find me. You know, like a lot of people that do come across my music, although sonically it's not the same as the verse that I did for Ops. And that for me was a challenge because I was feeling myself. I am an MC. I can rap on anything. Blah. So I did that as sort of like a challenge to myself, not knowing where it would go. Girl, I didn't know it was for the Black Panther when I was writing it. (laughs) I heard you talk about that somewhere else. And I was like, maybe that's a good thing because that might have felt like a lot of pressure. I did not need that kind of pressure in my life, Pam. No, so, <laughs> so I'm I'm really glad that it, it went that way. And I think also just the energy that we approached it with, Kanev, let's just do it. Let, let me just like jump on this. We'll see what happens. And oh, it was yeah. a great opportunity. Like a lot of people that maybe will write and say, hey, I'm, I'm so glad I found your music. I found uh, something I can relate to. It makes me feel good. Like for all those years, I was lonely. You know what I mean? Like there's folks, I know for a fact there's folks who are thinking the same things or who are confused by the same things, who are trying to fight or or battle their way out of really tough situations or dark times. And they gravitate to this stuff because I know it, you know, like we find each other. People that are like like the weirdos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. it, It really brings me a lot of joy to hear that. Like I know like folks maybe they're really in their feelings, like, oh, this is how this album makes me feel. And they have no idea that they're just really just making my heart explode on the other mm-hmm. end reading. And I appreciate that, to be able to to have people's hearts in that way and to have people show you appreciation for something that you do. I love it, you know. I love that I can say something and there's someone on the other side of the world thinking, yes, girl, exactly. I love exactly. that sense of family. Oh, it's the best. Um, And I just have to highlight for people that it's pretty astonishing that you didn't know that it was going to be for Black Panther because you had this witchy intuition to write the line, roar like a lioness, punch like a cyborg. And that is, I mean, it seems like it's tailor-made for the movie. So that's pretty awesome. Blades on the tongue, Kathleen Cleaver, you know, she was a Black Panther. And to be Mm -hmm. honest, what they'd asked was for like some high energy rebel verse. And of course, that would be for me the ultimate rebellion, you know. I really love the energy of rebellion, of fighting against the system, of being you against all odds, you know, because I do feel like we're somehow being forced to be these carbon copies of people we don't even want to be, you know. On top of that, to be able to just fight through it and be yourself is an act of revolution with all your flaws and all your beautiful things and you are enough and you are complete and you'll be okay. That is a 
better life to live than, oh, I am not this or I am not this enough. Hell yes. Well, I wish we had 15 more hours because I just love talking to you, Yugen. Luckily, I have <laughs> I have your music to keep me company, which I've been listening to obsessively anyhow. Mm. Um, so Until I head over to the States. Yes, it will keep me company till then. And Yugen, quickly, where can people find out more about you and your music? What is your website or any social yeah. media stuff you want to shout out? Great. Uh, the social media plugs, you'll find at Yugen Blackrock on all of them. I do try to keep folks updated on shows where we can link up, share some music and hugs and ting. If you want to follow those, that's great. The music's up on Bandcamp as well. If you're just into the music, not so much chit-chat, yugenblackrock.bandcamp.com. Uh, <laughs> Anything we do is really just for the fun of it. So find me on social media, come through to a show. Let's have a chat. I really do enjoy this, you know, after an hour, hour set to rapping. It's nice to just talk to folks and just, you know, share a moment or so. But yeah, we'll be keeping updated on shows and new music as well. Yes, yes. I was going to ask. Any idea when that might be launching into the world? Are you still working on it now? Yeah, we're still working on it. And yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited. So I don't want to say anything about when it drops. I will drop it when it's ready, obviously. But yes. until then, come see us at the shows. Bring all the hugs and good vibes. We'll be looking forward to see you guys. All right. Well, you have a giant hug waiting for you from me here in New York City. Yay. I can't wait to see you perform and hopefully meet you, Yugen. I am just absolutely in awe of your ingeniousness and your heart. <laughs> and I really thank you again for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Pam. What a pleasure. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Yugen Blackrock and Kanif for sharing their mystical music medicine with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is produced, written, and recorded by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was edited by Rachel Jacobs, thank you Rachel, and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Chiquita Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. And you can get extra episodes and other bonus content on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash witchwave. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and give us lots of sparkly stars. It really does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchWavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. And please consider picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which is available everywhere now. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave. <laughs> <laughs>